In finance, there's a term commonly used when analyzing different investment options, the investment's opportunity cost. Opportunity cost analyzes the potential benefits and potential costs of choosing one option over another. Opportunity cost isn't something reported on financial sheets, but it's a key discussion point in financial analysis when thinking about how and when to allocate money, time, and resources. But for today's guest, the discussion of opportunity cost doesn't start and end in the boardroom. You should always think about what is the opportunity cost of not doing this decision. Because let's say, for example, you're working at a bank and you're earning a decent salary. If you quit and if you go and try and make it on your own and do it yourself, what's the worst thing that could happen? Well, in my view, the worst thing that could happen is you go back to the banking industry and get another job. It may not be the exact same job you had and it may be paying 10% less, but guess what? You're still earning a salary and you've taken that risk. Once I understood that dynamic, everyone should be going off and starting their own company and taking that risk. And not everyone is successful, but I think it gives you some comfort knowing that there is a protection underneath you. For Julian Race, CEO and founder of Super Ordinary, weighing opportunity costs is a way of life. Understanding the true implications of seizing or passing on an opportunity is how he's been able to spot macro trends, know when to make business investments, and understand when to take career leaps. Super Ordinary is a worldwide team of experts working with best-in-class beauty and personal care brands to establish their influence globally. From the shops of Spain to live streaming events in the heart of China, Super Ordinary's global reach is, well, super. But getting to that point was no easy feat. It took testing and iterating and, of course, educated leaps of faith. Learn exactly how Julian built Super Ordinary into the global standout it is today on this episode of The Journey. There are always exciting things happening in the world of small business. The news that grabs the headlines, though, are always the highlights. The overnight successes, the billion-dollar IPOs, the massive exits. But just like your Instagram feed, that's never the whole story. Let's look deeper than the headlines and press photos. Underneath all of that is the real work of building something valuable and lasting. Don't get me wrong, I love crazy success stories and can be drawn in by those big flashy tales just as much as the next person. But we all know that what's more important than the destination is how you get there. It's the struggles you have to overcome and the insights you learn along the way that make you who you are. So those are the stories we're telling. It's raw, it's honest, and maybe it's exactly what you need to hear. I'm Hillary Georgie, and this is The Journey. Julian's parents worked in the food industry, a career choice that brought Julian and his family all around the world. I was born in Australia, and I spent my early years in Asia. My dad was working for Pizza Hut. We were brought all around Asia as kids. I have an identical twin brother, Justin, and I think we really lent on each other. My mom and dad were very hard workers and started their career both in the restaurant business. He was a chef, my mom was a waitress, and then they went from strength to strength to building a wonderful business in Asia. And I think my parents' generation were much more risk averse 
than our generation, I would say, where we came out of the gate thinking, woulda, coulda, shoulda, kind of how do we do this? They look at us saying, you're crazy. Growing up, Julian was always the dreamer, but he didn't quite know how or where to direct that passion. His path hadn't been decided yet, so instead, Julian spent his time learning everything he could about the industry his parents were both working in. He and his brother worked every odd job at nearly every fast food chain. It was a demanding work life that exposed them to a number of life lessons. In high school, we were always taught to go and earn our keep. So, you know, working at restaurants, my twin brother and I probably worked at every fast food chain there was. And I think there was a really valuable lesson in all of that because learning to work with other people, working with someone who's cooking the chicken or making the pizza or customer service and managing. I think those are lifelong lessons that we forget about these days, how to interact. And one funny story, Justin and I started running the Kentucky Fried Chicken in one country. We had forgotten to order the chicken for the next day. And we ended up going to the supermarket using our hard-earned savings to buy the chicken before my father found out. We definitely learned some hard licks through that. A KFC that ran out of chicken? Now that would have been a story that made the local news. But Julian and his brother were able to avoid the headlines and invest their own money to solve the problem they had created. It was a hard-learned lesson, but a necessary one in understanding the skin in the game you have to have to manage or run a business. Julian continued to work in the food industry, even through college. And it was at that time that he began to envision a career for himself outside of the restaurants he had grown up in. When I was at university, I was very interested in understanding the global markets. And I was always excited about trading just because I'd grown up watching a lot of movies about it. He pursued a degree in economics and mathematics. And after graduating, he became a trader at a bank. But after a few years of that, he saw a different opportunity open up. I guess the entrepreneurial side of me came out during university. I really had a flair to build communities. And I really was excited about the opportunity to build a brand. I started off as a trader at a bank. But when I was 27 years old, I decided to start my own hedge fund, which was a big leap of faith for me to leave a very secure job and to do something on my own dime. I want to kind of get into your mind. How were you thinking about that? Did you see it as a big risky move? Were you hesitant at all? Was there doubt in your mind? I think the trigger point to me, which I loved sharing this actually with other people, is that when you're that age or whatever age you are now, you should always think about what is the opportunity cost of not doing this decision. Julian weighed his options. At this point in his career, he could try something. And if he failed, he could just take a job doing what he had done before. For him, it was a risk he couldn't not take. But of course, these leaps of faith never have a completely smooth landing. It took some time for Julian to get his footing and get out of the what the heck am I doing phase. To be honest, I had no idea how to set up a company. I was in Singapore at the time. I think I spent more time thinking about the name of the company rather than thinking about how I was going to operate it. I learned so many lessons about myself. Once you set up the company, you have to raise money. And raising money is not easy. How do you go and sell yourself to someone and say, hey, I'm a successful so-and-so, you should invest in me because I'm going to make you rich or I'm going to build this incredible company. One of the things that I think everyone should know and learn is how to sell yourself 
that's really important is to learn that skill set. Despite the rocky start, Julian went on to operate not one, but several successful hedge funds. He loved the pace of work, the people and companies he got to work with, and he was inspired by the macro trends he got to see play out. He was specifically intrigued with those in the beauty and fashion industry. I've always been really excited and interested in brands in general. As a trader, I always think about the big idea. And I see the big idea when you're 30,000 feet above the earth and you're thinking about what are the big trends and how do you take advantage of them? I'm always asking, maybe we could do this. And I always believed that beauty was an interesting industry because you had these incredibly large companies like L'Oreal and Estee Lauder and LVMH and Procter & Gamble that gobbled up all these smaller brands. And beauty does well in a good time and in bad times too, right? The ecosystem of beauty is so exciting because there's so many different players and participants. Getting from hedge fund into the beauty industry, I'm always interested about the trends in beauty. Julian was so interested in the industry that he even founded his own skincare brand called Skin Laundry. But as much as he enjoyed that company, he knew it wasn't his long-term career plan. He wanted to do something bigger, something global. For Julian, it all came down to opportunity costs. The cost of staying with Skin Laundry meant possibly missing out on an even more exciting venture. So he hired a management team to take over Skin Laundry, and he began to search for his next opportunity. I found myself unemployed again and sitting in Hong Kong looking at China. I had been going to China for 20 years, and I really saw this interesting opportunity that China, which is now the largest beauty market in the world, that all these beauty brands were created or being bought on platforms and not on their own websites because there are no websites in China. It's all done through the equivalents of the Amazons, which is called Tmall, Taobao, Little Red Book, Douyin, which is TikTok. And I said, this is a tremendous opportunity to become the gateway partner of building these beautiful brands we have in the US and bring them into China. It was the seed of the idea that would become Julian's now thriving business, Super Ordinary. But it's a seed he could have just as easily not seen had he not had the opportunity to travel the world in the ways that he has. You've traveled a lot. That's part of your life. That's part of your business. It's something that a lot of people can learn from. So I want to hear about how travel has impacted you as an entrepreneur, as a person, and how you kind of spot trends, how you see opportunity when you travel. I think travel brings humility. You learn about other cultures, how to respect other people, appreciation of other people's hardships in their lives, but also teaches you compassion. When you learn about travel and traveling and getting inspired by other cultures, it just reminds you how big this universe and this world is and makes you even more excited about living day to day and what's around the corner. So what was around the corner for Julian and Super Ordinary? How did Julian turn his idea into a global reality? And what are his recommendations for entrepreneurs and brands thinking about expanding to new markets? Stay tuned after the break. Julian was in the early stages of building Super Ordinary. And while his idea originated in China, his vision went much further. He knew there were similar opportunities around the world to help brands go global 
And that super ordinary could be the company that helps break down those cultural barriers so brands can tap into these new markets. So it really started when we started to think about the Chinese consumer and where they were spending most of their time. I noticed very quickly that many of the brands that we saw in Sephora, Drunk Elephant, Supergroup, Pharmacy, were not available in China. And that people were bringing them in in suitcases and then selling them in the gray market. And these brands weren't being well represented. They'll be on like the Ebays of China, the price of three times the normal market price. So I started that by building our first brand, which is Pharmacy with an F. And then we slowly expanded the portfolio. And we started realizing that we were onto something early. These brands were resonating with the Chinese consumer. And then I started to think, if we can do it in China, why can't we do it in other countries? Quite frankly, I think we're right at the beginning because the traditional way of beauty brands distributing was going through the traditional brick and mortar stores like Sephora and Ulta. But as you know, people in Spain may not have an Ulta in front of them or in Vietnam, and they don't understand anything about your brand. So there's a need and a desire for these brands to be localized and communicated to these consumers. But even with his big vision in hand and years of his life having been spent on the ground in many of these countries, one hurdle still remained. He was considered an outsider and needed to build local trust. I'm not from mainland China. I speak a little Chinese, but nowhere near what you need. So I think people thought I was literally nuts. My own employees thought I was nuts. They're like, you have no right to be operating this business. I definitely had a lot of pushback. It was really hard because when you're in a country and the people say you're going to fail, you have to kind of have a stiff upper lip and say, you know what, I can do it. Yeah, it was tough. How did you convince them? How do you get the buy-in? You have to. There's no two ways. You cannot fail. I felt like this was a challenge and I never give up. You get back on that horse every morning and do it and do it and do it. And it will come to you. If you're really passionate, it's still to this day, it's so funny because of all the naysayers, they come around eventually. But trust is a two-way street. A huge part of building relationships in these local communities isn't just about them learning to trust Julian. It's about Julian trusting them. This is a key component to Super Ordinary's business model, and it requires granting local on-site teams the autonomy to make the decisions that they think are best for a brand. The way we think is be local, but act global. So when we build our businesses in these different geographies, is higher locally and build those local centers of excellence in each of those cities, whether it's in Bangkok or Shanghai or Hong Kong, and not try to build the team in New York City and force our brands that we in New York know exactly how to operate your brand. And I think learning and making decisions that way is always the best way. So rather than we're running a marketing campaign for Drunk Elephant, we don't automatically just translate it and put it into that country. We think about all the cultural sensitivities. Does it make sense? Do people like the product? Which product do they like? And reverse engineer that and really adapt to those markets. Not building new products from scratch. So we're really accelerating these brands into these different regions. But using our local talent in each of the cities has just been so beneficial. We feedback that information to the brand. It's really special what we do because we are solving the problems for many of these beauty brands who don't have the capacity or the bandwidth. Growing a company like this doesn't just require employee buy-in. 
It also requires finding and sourcing the right partners to help facilitate expansion. This brings us to another opportunity cost to consider. The cost of building a network from the ground up versus the cost of partnering with an existing company that already has the network and tools on the ground that you need. So we are day one in Thailand today, and we did it by actually investing in an existing business. And the strategic reason for doing that was we found a culture and a company that was very much like Super Ordinary, who had been managing beauty brands in Southeast Asia for many years and brands like Kiehl's, Lancome, Body Shop. And we found that there was a lot of similarities in our businesses. So we decided to move aggressively with a partnership rather than start from scratch. And sometimes it means it's better to start from scratch. So in the US, for example, we were looking at potential companies to acquire or invest into to help us with Amazon. And then what we decided to do at the end was to start it from scratch ourselves. When you make those decisions, you have to balance time versus money and investment. The challenging part when in these foreign markets is building local domestic teams that work well together. And if you find the opportunity where you can take a team who is like a world-oiled machine, then you go for it if you can get the right investment price for it. So that's how we move forward in Southeast Asia. And when it comes to brands that Super Ordinary works with, how is Julian measuring whether they are good fits for expanding internationally? Getting feedback from each of the regions where you are looking to sell your product is very important because sometimes the product is not right for that region. Timing is everything these days because marketing costs have gone up through the roof. Acquiring a customer used to be you know, $6, $8, now it's $150. So your acquisition costs are so high. So doesn't make sense to go into these markets and do you have the budget or the wherewithal to stay and burn money until you get that customer there. The size of your brand should be doing in the US market between 25 to 50 million in revenue before you really start thinking about international markets. Because when you're at that size, you probably have a team of 20 people supporting the business. You've got this infrastructure to support international distribution. If you're you and me and one other in the room, making two products and we think we can do it, we're probably going to fail. That's probably the first filter or hurdle I would recommend. The ride from KFC manager to bank trader to international brand builder has been a bumpy one. And there have been new questions of risk versus reward at every turn. Today, Super Ordinary has expanded from China into the US and Southeast Asia, and its growth isn't slowing. Julian hopes to find footholds in markets like the Middle East and South America. As the company tackles the world markets, Julian couldn't be more grateful for the team, partners, and employees he's had by his side. It's been four very, very fast years, and I'm so proud of everyone that's in our company because they're such nice, kind people. Everyone's very compassionate to each other in the sense of like understanding if you're going through a personal problem or something like that. I don't think I've ever been in a business or a company that's so supportive. I think they're really proud of where we are. People come to work because they love what we do. The New York Times bestselling author Mark Manson famously said, quote, everything has an opportunity cost. We instinctively understand this in business, but we often forget that the risks we do not take in life are just as important as the ones we do. It reminds me of a phrase I hate, FOMO. 
which means fear of missing out. What Julian and Mark teach us instead is to embrace JOMO, or the joy of missing out. By living our lives with intent, and by understanding why we are making or not making the choices we are, we can live more joyously, do business more passionately, and ultimately see greater successes in both. The Journey is created by Mission.org and sponsored by UPS. To learn more about the show or mission, visit Mission.org. And to learn more about how UPS can help your business, visit ups.com slash pivot.